Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Psalm 137 verse 1 says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. It's a picture of these people who have been exiled 70 years. That's, that's enough time for several generations to be born in a place. And they're sitting by the rivers of Babylon and they're remembering Zion, Jerusalem, where they should be and where they came from. And it's a picture of us sitting here on earth by the earthly rivers that are supposed to... The world says this gives you pleasure, this gives you joy, but I'm remembering heaven. By the rivers of Babylon, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the, miller, upon the willows in the midst of it. For there, those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. The world wants you to be a performing monkey. And they say, oh, you nice little Christians. We'll put you in a little category, a little box. We'll label you. Now we understand you. You're weirdos. You're irrelevant to us. But maybe give us a song every now and again. Let's have a little gospel song. But actually, there's, there's life and death. Eternity is at stake here. And we need to stand up and say to the world, it's not enough to just put us in a little category and a little box. We have the answer. There's more than Babylon. There is reality. There is heaven forever. And that's what I want to talk about today. Those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And the beauty is that now because we're in the New Testament, after Jesus, we can sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. The Jews couldn't. They were exiled to Babylon. They had no reality, no link with with Zion, we have, the Bible says, Philippians 3 verse 20, heaven's in our heart, our citizenship is in heaven. Again and again in the New Testament, it says the new Jerusalem, the, the city of God is in us and we are in it, even while we're in the foreign land of this earth. And we can sing the Lord's song. And when we do, heaven breaks out in this world. I'm reminded in Acts chapter 16 of Paul and Silas in a jail in a, a Roman town called Philippi. And they've been whipped and beaten and chained. And they start singing the Lord's song at midnight. And heaven breaks into earth. That's what we can do. Their chains were released. And the chains of every other prisoner in the prison were released. And many were set free. We sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. And we see heaven break through. He says... If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. And that's what I want to talk about today. It's possible for us to be in Babylon. And we've had a part of heaven put in our hearts. But we've allowed the world to deafen our ears, to dull our eyes, to overwhelm our senses. It's like we're in a drug-induced haze and we don't realize we forget the joy of heaven and so there are people walking around who have a part of Jesus in their hearts they have had an experience with God but because they haven't allowed that to completely renew them and change them they are not living in the fullness and the life and the blessing that God has for them so if you will allow me to do this today 
I would like to tell you a history story and then at the end I'm going to give you three applications. The Israelites were exiled in about 606 BC. The Babylonians came and took them exile. God had said to them, if you keep sinning, if you ignore my ways, and if you don't allow the land to have a Sabbath rest every seven years, then you will be taken exile. And so in 606, they were taken away from Israel. And for 70 years, because there had been 70 periods of seven years since they had last had a Sabbath of the land, God said, for 70 years, the land will have rest. You will live in a foreign land. And you remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all these stories in the Old Testament. Queen Esther, the story of Esther, um, Jeremiah's prophecies. There are so many of the books in the Bible that talk about this time when they were in exile and God said, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. And at the end of the 70 years, Daniel is in Babylon, which is now Persia, under Persian rule. And he's reading Jeremiah the prophet. And Jeremiah says, after 70 years, I'll bring you back. And Daniel starts crying out to God. And God says, yes, the time is now. I'm going to set the, send you back to Jerusalem. And he prays and he prays. And funnily enough, God then gives him another prophecy about a 490, 70 times 7 period till Messiah comes. It's amazing how the Bible fits together. So Daniel's looking at the prophecy that says 490 years and then 70 years of exile. And he's praying for that to be fulfilled. And God says, yes, but there's another 490, 70 times 7 till Messiah comes. It's the most extraordinary piece of the Bible, which I don't have time to look at right now. But just on that point, God had promised another promise in Isaiah that he would use a man called Cyrus. He actually names him by name in Isaiah 40 to 46. In those chapters, he talks about, I'm going to raise up a servant called Cyrus. Even though he doesn't know me, I'm going to use him to take my people and send them back to Israel. And so that's what happened. In 537 BC, Cyrus said, you can go back and you can build your temple. And so these people who had been captives in Babylon, dreaming of Zion, of Israel, not just of their own city, not just of, of an earthly identity, but the presence of God in the middle of their city, the temple and God's presence and God Almighty speaking to them and meeting with them in the cloud above the Ark of the Covenant. That, that presence of God, that's what they wanted. And Cyrus said, God used a foreign king and he said, go and I will give you weapons and um, provisions and all these different things. You can go. But now this is where the story gets a little bit Tragic. You know, we would like it to be cut and dried, easy. They went back, everything was lovely, but it wasn't. It took them over a hundred years to restore Jerusalem to what it was supposed to be. Because there was opposition, because, well, opposition was the main reason, but also a little bit of apathy on their part. And they weren't working together and listening to God properly and doing things correctly. And it took them a long time, but they persevered. There were several big names that I need to tell you about. So the first was Jeshua and Zerubbabel. These were two. Jeshua was the priestly leader. Zerubbabel was the kingly leader. They went back and they, their first job, they said, we've got to rebuild Jerusalem, but let's start with the temple. 
It must start with the presence of God. And so they worked at building the temple and it took them over 80 years to get it done. In fact, they didn't finish it. Other people picked it up. Ezra then came along and picked up the job and Nehemiah came in after him. And there were prophets, Jeremiah, uh, Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi, who, who encouraged the people and said, yes, you can do it. In Haggai, Haggai the prophet rises up and they've gone back and they've started rebuilding, but then they've given up. And Haggai says, can you live in lovely paneled houses while the house of God lies in ruins? Come on. And they get up and they start building the temple again. Zechariah comes along and he says, he encourages them. He says, I have a vision of you, Jeshua, who was one of these leaders, this priestly leader. He says, I have, an, have a vision of you standing before God in dirty clothes and Satan is next to you and he's accusing you. Zechariah chapter 3. And the prophet says, but you know what happened, Jeshua? God didn't rebuke you for being dirty. He rebuked Satan for accusing you and he clothed you in pure clothes. And Jeshua got some strength to carry on with the job. And then Zechariah says to Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4, he says, the Lord says, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And this mighty mountain in front of you will become a level plain if you will shout grace, grace to it. That's what, that's what was happening in this time. And they were trying to rebuild the temple. But there was opposition. There were people coming against them. And eventually, after about 80 or 90 years, the temple was built. But then, I want to just show you something very amazing. Even though the temple was built, that didn't mean that the city was operational. So Nehemiah now, chapter one, this is many decades after they've started rebuilding, they've got the temple built and the altar is built and there are sacrifices being made. A temple where God's presence is, hallelujah. That might be you, friend. You might be someone who's got the temple built in your heart. You've come to church or you've heard the message of Christ and you've said, Lord Jesus, be my lamb of sacrifice. Pay for my sins. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you that I'm forgiven. And you've genuinely become a Christian. You've got the temple in your heart. Do you remember in the Revelation picture, out of the temple in the middle of the city flows the river of living water. You've got that in you. That might be you. But then Nehemiah comes along and the whole book of Nehemiah is not rebuilding the temple. That's already there. So to put it in our language, he's speaking to Christians who have Christ in the middle of their heart. But listen to this, Nehemiah 1. Came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I sat in Shushan, the citadel. Where is he? He's in Persia. He's in Babylon. He hasn't gone back to Jerusalem yet. That Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire." 
as a pastor, I relate to this. I see people every day who know Jesus. They've believed in Jesus, but because they haven't renewed their heart and their mind, they've got Jesus in their spirit, but they're still thinking the way they always used to think. They're still acting the way the world around acts. They haven't built up the walls and the gates. What does Proverbs 25 verse 28 say? It says, a person who does not rule his spirit is like a city broken down without walls. You can have Christ in your heart, but if you haven't renewed your mind and your heart and your thinking and your actions, if you're not building walls and gates the way God says, you can have Christ in your heart and it does you no good. The city is still broken down and in ruins. And so the whole book of Nehemiah is Nehemiah getting to work. And he does some amazing things. And we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. I want to make a couple of three points. Three things we have to do. Number one is we have to leave. We have to leave. Number two is we need to fight. And number three is we need to link ourselves with other people. But the first one is leave. You know, God had given the Israelites the freedom to leave Babylon and to go back to Zion, to Jerusalem. And they had sung these songs. Oh Lord, we're weeping by the rivers of Babylon. We're dreaming of Jerusalem. But you know what? Only 2% of the Jews left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem. 50,000 people, roughly. A very, very small portion. Why? Because Babylon was comfortable. Because Babylon is like a drug that dulls your senses and makes you think everything's okay. You have this stirring deep down inside you that says everything's not okay. This isn't how the world is supposed to be. There's not supposed to be sickness, death, crying, antagonism, hatred, all these bad things that are happening in the world. This is not the city of God, but then the dullness of the world, the pleasures of the world. Just the, the fact that everyone else is going along like a bunch of sheep going in the wrong direction. We, we just become dull and sleepy. And the first thing we need to do is we need to wake ourselves up, shake ourselves out of this dullness and say, no, no, I must go back to God. The city of God is important. It is so important that I must find the city of God. Ninety-eight percent of the Jews never went back. Think about that. Think about the, the huge number. God wants them all back. God is preparing a place for them. And the city of Jerusalem becomes the heavenly city where they want to will live with God forever. God has that plan for them, but 98% of them say no. Can I ask you, my dear friend, are you willing to stand up and be different from the crowd? You can have a few short years of pleasure in Babylon, but that is nothing compared to the eternity of joy that we will have when we find the city of God. And there is joy in the city of God. In Nehemiah chapter 8, when they finally finished and they built the walls and they built the gates, they have a wonderful celebration. They're listening to God's word being read to them and some of them start to weep 
because they're regretting all the pain and all the mistakes they've made. And Nehemiah stands up, Nehemiah 8, I think it's verse 10, and he says, Do not weep. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And they find joy. The city that was broken down and in ruins becomes a real city again with an identity, with the joy and the sound of children playing in the streets, laughter, people marrying and being given in marriage, business being done and people making lives and building homes and getting a future and there's an identity and we have a, a joy as a family of God together because we've done this thing. You can have that and I'm asking you to decide because if you don't decide, it won't happen. You have to say, I'm uprooting out of Babylon and I'm leaving the world and all that it contains and I'm finding the city of God. We don't just drift into the kingdom of God. We have to decide to cut, to leave and to join God's kingdom. And I'm asking you today to do that. Will you be part of the 2%? Amen? Amen. The second thing is we need to fight. Ezra chapter 4, it says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel. So these are adversaries. These are enemies. And the Bible tells us there is an enemy. The enemies came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, What do you think the enemy says? How do you think... The enemy will try to stop you or, or keep you away from building God's city and especially his temple. You may be surprised by this. Listen to what they said. Verse 2. Let us build with you. What? For we seek your God as you do. Huh? We have sacrificed to him since the days of Ezahaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God. We alone will build to the Lord God of Israel. The first trick that the enemy uses is he mixes the truth with a little bit of error. He comes in as an angel of light. In Jude, it says that the false teachers are present at our love feasts. When the church is getting together and the family of God are loving each other and loving God, the false teachers are there. They're angels of light. There, there is deception in the midst, and it's always a mixture of truth. Let us build with you. Let us sacrifice. Let us be with you. But actually, the key is they have a motive behind to get you get you away from God. And we are so blessed because we have the Holy Bible. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul is speaking to Timothy and he says there's going to be false teachers deceiving and being deceived. It's just going to get worse and worse. But you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise. We can go back to the Bible and say this is the truth. Let me use a little illustration here, two illustrations. Number one is a hook with a worm on it. You know, when, it, when a fish, I don't know exactly what a fish thinks when it comes up to a worm in a, in a river, but I'm guessing it thinks, this is a good worm. It looks tasty. And in fact, the worm is tasty. The only problem is hidden inside the worm is a steel hook 
a cold metal weapon that is linked to a line that is held by a person who wants to pull you to death. And I want to say to you that not everything that sounds and looks good and even contains good truth is good because if there's a, a devil behind it with a hook to try and pull you to him, then it's not good. We need to be so discerning. We need to say, God, your word is truth. Amen? So important. There is an enemy. And he goes on. So the first one was deception. But then when that didn't work, they tried uh, threats. They tried to discourage them. They tried to frustrate them. And they tried to accuse them. You can read from uh, Ezra chapter 4, verses 2, all the way through to 6 and onwards. You'll see the efforts they made. And then when Nehemiah came later on, after the temple was built, there were two or three other enemies called Tobiah, Sanballat, and Geshem. And at the end of Nehemiah 6, it says Tobiah was part of the family of the Israelites. He was a Jewish man, but he was being used by the enemy to try and frustrate and destroy what they were doing. Can I just say that every other religion, Jesus said that his words are the only truth and he is the only way. I don't have time now to explain why all the other religions are wrong, but just to say this, they all are based on, a, on an idea that you can, by knowing enough or doing enough, you can get to heaven yourself. And Jesus is the only one who says you can never get to heaven. You have to come through me, the sacrifice of me. But every other religion has elements in its teaching that is very similar to Christianity. And you can be lured in to reading the books and to listening to the talks and to clicking on the videos on social media and saying, I want to learn this. I want to hear from this guy. I want to hear. But there's a hook. Okay. So we've got to leave. We've got to fight. And the third thing we've got to do is we've got to link up with other people. God put in place to help them build the walls. First of all, there was Jeshua and Zerubbabel. Then there were these prophets, Zechariah, Haggai, Jeremiah, Daniel. There were all these people. And then there were Ezra and Nehemiah. And they helped the people. And Nehemiah came in and he looked and he got a vision from God and he understood God's plan. And then he said to the people, let's do it like this. Nehemiah chapter 3. I don't have time to read the whole thing because it's a long chapter. But let me just read you a couple of verses to give you a flavor. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hananel. Next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. And he goes on and on and on to say the names of every family that helped him build the gates and the walls of the city. They linked together. They had a common purpose and a common plan. And each of them built just the bit of the wall that was near their house. Friends, we need to link up. You can't do it on your own and I can't do it on my own. We need Nehemiahs. We need Zechariahs. We need Jeshuas and Zerubbabels. We need leaders. And we need each other, and we need to link in common purpose and say, we are going to do this together. If you're out there in Babylon on your own, trying to sing the songs of Zion on your own, after a while you will be convinced that you are the crazy one. Amen? 
The world will tell you, you're the crazy one. What are you doing not building for money, for pleasure? What are you, why are you crazy? But when we get together and we read God's word and we have leaders who will guide us and brothers and sisters who will link arms with us and we say, we are going to do this together. I'm going to help you build the city of God in your life and you're going to help me. Amen. And then we're going to help each other's families. And then we're going to build a city called the church in this place. And it's going to shine a light to the rest of the world around us. And then we are going to build cities in other places of the world so that God's kingdom grows. And when we get to Jerusalem in heaven, we're going to see the effects, the silver, the gold, and the precious stones of what we've been building. And we're going to say, it was worth it. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.